Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 167 for Monday, November 15th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me as always is an amplified Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello, and if you would like to know how Johnny's day is flowing oh, trust, so far... Oh, trust me, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should listen to The Render Distance. Uh, that is the extended version of the podcast that we record and send out to our patrons every week. So you get to hang out with us an extra half an hour, roughly. Uh, and uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Speaking of Patreon, it's the Chunk Mail Dispenser week. And if you're new to the podcast, the Chunk Mail Dispenser is a regular monthly episode where we have uh, unlocked with our patrons help uh, a... It's a, we we forgo the main discussion and fill the rest of the show with emails, and so the rest of this episode after we cover the news is going to be listener email. Yes, and we have plenty of it. Uh, lots of discussion topics, especially having you know Minecraft Live recently, and like some of the the news this week is pretty exciting for people thinking about what's coming next. So. I expect we will have uh, yeah plenty of good email to talk about. But in the meantime, let's talk about what we've been doing in our own Minecraft lives. Why don't you go first, Joel? So this past weekend uh, was much of the same, spending the time in the Southgate Road in the medieval town of Westall on the Citadel, working on a bundle of little houses. We had I'd set out all the framing. I decided on heights and. Um, rough colors and things uh, last week. This week was about finishing up the roofs, um, putting things together. And most of the time was spent uh, on the uh, turret house, the dark kind of like oak and and bone uh, front building. Uh, there are some interiors, but nothing is like, there's no furniture or anything like that. It's just like, I, I have designed the rafters. So I've got like supportive beams and, and lanterns hanging, not torches on the floor, like that kind of stuff is inside. Uh, and I did do... Uh, some flooring and stuff like that inside as well. Uh, but the one that surprised me the most uh, was, again, as I'm struggling with different shades of gray and brown and have not everything look exactly the same, uh, I did a oak wood, so the, the the block that's all covered in oak bark on all sides. I did that for a roof. And obviously it was very plain. I needed it to stand out against the spruce roof that was in front of it, so I couldn't just do more spruce. And uh, I decided to try and add some texture to it. And I thought, well, what are the what are the things that I could do to make this look a little bit more textured? So a stripped spruce wood block was my first choice, using that sparingly, kind of like a worn, weathered kind of look. And to my surprise, jungle wood, all over our bark jungle wood, actually looks pretty good. It, it looks kind of like a wet or perhaps rotten or moldy version of the oak wood block mm -hmm. and i just i've not used jungle very much in the medieval area because of course the wood of jungle is quite you know reddish there's a there's a bit of a, a pink issue to it yeah so uh, it doesn't necessarily go i've used it a little bit jungle wood uh, and and granite go quite nicely together in my apothecary shop but yeah it, like it's it was one of those things where like i was surprised at that combination uh, we did a little little bit of live palette design on the stream, just kind of like putting a few blocks in the ground and kind of figuring out what brown blocks might look there, look good there. And um, I think we ended up using birch for the gables and mushroom stem for the walls. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked out quite, pretty well. You know, it's a nice little alleyway. There's a cool little door 
uh, down the alley. So it's kind of one of those things that you don't really see much of it from the street. You're going to notice it more coming down from the bridge or coming down from the keep. You'll see this house that's behind everything. And so I just, I like putting in these little, these little kind of like stopgap houses that fill in the space, but provide a function. You can get inside these buildings. You can actually travel from one to the other, um, at least through two of them. Um, which is just like a, these two share a wall. Why not put a door here? Mm-hmm. You know, and it just kind of, I like putting in these little pathways, but it came together quite nicely. Yeah, it's looking good. I think the, the jungle wood thing is a really good call. And it's the kind of thing that I'd already use jungle wood for like, if there's a supporting pillar for a dock or something, and a lot of that is underwater, then throwing in some jungle wood often makes it look like there's a bit of moss gathering or like algae or whatever kind of yeah mm-hmm. underwater plant life so i've used it for that but i think i've not thought about using it for roof stuff like this since they've um since before they've added the bark texture on all six sides blocks the wood blocks as opposed to log blocks and and that's really cool because of course the the reason you didn't do stuff like this previously was that you'd see the end textures of the logs And obviously these blocks have been in the game for a little while now, but I've just not gotten to the habit of thinking back and going, maybe I can use those for roofs and it will look a little bit more complete now that you're not seeing the end textures. So that's that's smart. And I think you're right. It does go really well with the oak wood. I guess the problem you run into then is the directionality of it because they use two different directions for placement. Jungle has a horizontal bark texture and oak has a vertical. So I expect you've got to be pretty deliberate about where you're placing the blocks as you're building. Uh, deliberate in replacing it yes because you've placed it down by just pure reflex and then you just go oh no that's wrong yeah <laughs> you have to mind. so a lot of those blocks i placed at least twice yeah <laughs> for sure uh yeah that part was tricky but uh i do i do like that we have that ability with the jungle log though the fact that its bark runs horizontal if you're looking at a jungle tree the bark grain goes left right as opposed to up down mm-hmm. and um the, the the wood block allows you to just kind of put that however you want the the uh the i guess method behind it was i was trying to put it in like the corners like the dark corners the down part of the roof and uh yeah i think it was pretty effective we we had a discussion on the stream somebody else said that they had used it along a riverbank so like kind of like not not part of a of a of a wharf but like just as on the shore just kind of like greenish you know, kind of more organic looking um, kind of rot, I guess, along the edge of yeah. the river, which I thought I might try because I've got a lot of river design to do in the area as well. So that's a good thing to know. Yeah, seems good. Seems good. What have you been up to, my friend? Well, I have officially started production on season two of the Minecraft Survival Guide, which is basically all I've been able to think about the last little while. Uh, even like the the little bit of stuff I've done on Empires, I've mostly been thinking well, I need to wrap up some of this and I need to kind of, you know, make sure I'm pacing myself because when Survival Guide takes over, that's going to be all I want to record. And so I've started in the pre-release that we got this week, which we'll talk about in the news. Um, I started recording videos about stuff like controls and keyboard shortcuts, the video and accessibility settings that I use, and uh, the glossary of terms video that I mentioned previously. And I think those are coming together really well. I'm working on graphics for the series as well. So I'm doing some stuff outside of Minecraft for content creation stuff. Um, And I'm not going to be starting the world and the main series until we have a full release, uh, just in case anything does change in the meantime. But since we're now getting down to pre-releases and bug fixes, and we can be fairly certain there's not going to be too many other changes to the terrain, I'm very much thinking about the future of that series and bringing that back. 
and I've had a few people kind of say like, do you want to, do you want me to scout a seed for you? And I was like, no, I, I want to go in completely random seed. And uh, we talked about this before, but like adapting to the world being like a fun challenge when we, uh, when you start off a fresh world and, and a good example for people who are getting into the series for the first time. So that's, uh, that's been my week so far. Um, in the meantime, doing a bit of exploring in the pre-release and playing lots of Minecraft Bingo to blow off some steam because I think that's still a super fun game mode. We managed to get a, a bunch of us together for a multiplayer few rounds of that the other day where we split into teams of two or teams of three and uh, depending on how many of us there were, we all you know ran around in the same map trying to get the same objectives which led to a bit of shenanigans when you know, one of the objects you have to get is a slime ball, and with the mob cap being what it is on multiplayer servers uh, before 1.18, where it's actually going to change, um, it was very difficult to spawn mobs further away from the central area, so we all just converged on spawn and had a frantic time trying to kill slimes and get ink and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, super fun, still having a lot of fun with Minecraft Bingo. Nice. Uh, it's smart recording all the like the glossary videos and stuff in, in the pre-releases rather than just waiting for the full release to land and then going out and, and trying to, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Because there's a fair amount of stuff that won't change from pre-release to, to yeah. the full release, of course. And the, there are some things that have changed very recently, like a couple of the settings having been renamed. We talked about the... Uh, the the chunk builder option in video settings getting renamed recently and a couple of the settings being moved around so that there's now those online server settings in a different tab and things so I, i'm glad that now most of that is locked in place i can talk about it with some authority and i i make a point of saying you know this is what the settings are right now but in future some of this stuff could look different so anytime anything changes or maybe i start using optifine or some other kind of you know performance improvements mod i can go over the video settings that that provides if they're any different when it comes up um so so it's it's going to be a, a constantly evolving thing but yeah i really wanted to hit the ground running with season two of survival guide knowing that people are going to be very excited for it after season one and so i wanted to get this stuff done early so that once 1.18 comes out i'm not bogged down by all of the the technical details that i want to get out there ahead of time and i can just launch straight into it and start recording main series videos Someone asked me on stream the other day what I was planning on doing when 118 came out, and I was just I, kind of, I was standing in the middle of this half finished medieval town, like um, <laughs> more of this, probably yeah. more, more of this. I, I I did mention that I haven't done a solid mining session in a long time, and I'm not out of things like stone or dirt or grass or anything like that. But there are a lot of new blocks like deep slate running real low, tough. I don't think I have any anymore. So there's a bunch of things that I'll have to gather, and I think it would be a fun combination to like, you know, when the when the release comes out to to go and gather as much of the new stuff as i as i can uh and explore because i think it'd be kind of fun to pick some new locations for new builds and and different things and um i know that it's going to be um a fun time but i i've I, I don't know why i feel like with 118 i don't have we'll say big air quotes plans because mm -hmm. i feel like the landscape is going to inform those plans like yeah. i'm not going to know what i'm going to want to build until i see where i need to build it right <laughs> yeah and and considering that it doesn't really add a great deal of new blocks some of them are more accessible than they were before but it, yeah. all of the blocks and mobs and stuff were in 1.17 because of the split i think it makes a lot of sense that what you're really looking for 118 to add is 
reasons to build places and and areas that look different and the exploration experience changing especially in an established world like the citadel where you already have these ongoing projects on the go speaking of all the things that are changing what do you think we jump into the news let's do it uh so here it is one of the big ones not the big one of course but one of them uh minecraft java edition 1.18 pre-release one was out this week uh that's coming from minecraft.net of course we have a link to that in the uh in the show notes and it says right at the top, from now on, you should mostly see bugs being fixed. In addition to that, pre-releases don't follow the usual snapshot cadence of releasing on Wednesdays. So keep an eye out. We might see other pre-releases this week. That being said, this pre-release introduces biome blending, which means you should no longer find harsh borders between new and old terrain. On top of that, we've also reintroduced the amplified and large biome world types. Hold for applause, because it's a big one. Uh, changes in pre-release 1 include that amplified and large biome worlds have been adapted to the new terrain under and are now once again available in the create world screen. They've removed the caves and floating islands world types from the world creation screen and the transition between new and old terrain is less cliffy if you are upgrading a world. Terrain height and blending and biome blending are in effect and should be much smoother and cave blending your mileage may vary it may depend on the existing cave systems in the world how smooth those transitions are from old to new there are a few technical changes in pre-release one using a report option in the data generator now creates full world gen reference files instead of just biomes potentially very important for anybody who's working on data packs and stuff like that and i've seen some fantastic ones out there by the way um, fixed bugs of note, there are a whole bunch of them as per usual linked in the minecraft.net article in our show notes and as the uh, changelog here says you, you can expect a lot of bug fixes to kind of take center stage in upcoming pre-releases but here are a few we thought are worth mentioning from this one. There are a few fixes to world border functionality, players could previously interact with entities outside the world border which included things like being able to mount a horse that was outside the world border and that allowed you to get out of the area that you're theoretically supposed to be contained in. The world border also didn't take nether coordinates into account previously, that had been fixed. Um, there are also a few things related to terrain generation which might have been worth holding on upgrading your world for, including lava lakes now generating with stone around them again, where previously they were generating without. And, uh, and uh, something people noticed when they were up upgrading their old worlds to these newer uh, snapshots, then there was no bedrock in the overworld underneath old chunks. You went down to Y-64 and there was just void. That bedrock should now be back in place as of pre-release 1, so we are looking at a much more complete experience moving into 1.18. Man, finding out that there's no bedrock down there the hard way would not be fun. <laughs> I, did, I did see a few people pointing out, you know, there's like patches of diamond ore and stuff that generated that low down, and, and like, you know, flying into the void in spectator mode and looking up at that and being like, if I had mined that, it would be curtains. Like, I would be gone right now. Like, I'd be standing on top of these diamonds and then just, whoop, like, straight down into the void. Um, but here we go. We're in into pre-releases now, and while this isn't going to take center stage for a discussion this week because we have the chunk mail dispenser, I feel like we are probably due for a, a, a kind of a wrap-up for 1.17, one of these episodes coming up because i can expect that we're not going to be too long before we get a main 1.18 release i did a bit of quick research on this the minecraft 1.17 pre-release one came out on may 27th the full release came out on june 8th uh, so that's less than two weeks between 
pre-release and full release. It should be worth noting, of course, that this is a very different update to that one. A lot of the terrain stuff is going to be at the forefront. Um, you know, the even though 1.17 wasn't an uncomplicated release because it was adding a bunch of new blocks and mobs and so forth, um, I feel like there was still a lot of moving parts to that one. But I think the uh, the focus now is going to be on assuring compatibility with old worlds. That seems to be really where they need to iron out the remaining bugs in the 1.18 release. And so my prediction is that we're probably going to see a release candidate, if not at the end of this week, then very early next week, and then a full release possibly in the week beginning November 22nd. That's what I'm crossing my fingers for, because I get the sense that uh, we are probably not that far away from a full release of 1.18 now. I'm trying to remember when the pre-releases got into the higher numbers. I think it was maybe the Nether update. They got up to like three or four, but like they very rarely do they get you know much higher than that in I, my experience. I can check that on the Minecraft wiki because I think 1.17 had five pre-releases. Oh, did it? Okay. Um, yeah, we got a pre-release five on June 3rd. And that was like basically okay. five days out from what the eventual full release was. There were also, I think, two release candidates for some of these as well. So yeah, like they will do a release candidate version typically before they post um, the, the the full release. So potentially, yeah, there can be some critical bug fixes. There can be some crashes that they still need to resolve. And I have run into a couple of crashes in this pre-release. Not sure entirely what caused them, but there were a lot of crash reports in Jira when I looked on the, the bug tracker. So I think I'm going to check for stability in pre-2 and then uh, think a little bit more seriously about it. But uh, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting now that we have potentially only a couple of weeks until the full release of 1.18 and uh, people can start getting excited about it. Yeah, and I think that if you're right about your, you know, your timeline guessing that if it is possible for them to have it ready just ahead of American Thanksgiving on that weekend, then that would, I imagine, be a, an excellent, you know, time yeah, to release good, it. Good timing. People having some free time, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I also don't think from what we know about Mojang and the development there that they're going to be pushing it if it's not ready. Right? Of course, like, I mean, yeah. It's, it's ready when it's ready, but but it does, it's nice that it, you're getting into the pre-release stuff. It's nice that we're getting down to bug fixes. We're not going to see any big sweeping changes. Nice that they've changed the, you know, they've gotten honed in on the, biome blending and, and stuff like that. I, I watched uh, Slice Lime's video where he was comparing side-by-side -side, snapshot to snapshot. And mm -hmm. in some cases, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be looking at. They looked the same. And I was like, mm, I don't see the difference. But in other cases, I did see a couple of like really sheer cliffs that were a lot smoother, um, birch forests kind of bleeding into plains as opposed to having a very clear edge, yeah. which I thought was very cool. So stuff like that, I think, is going to go a long way. Um, for world borders feeling a little bit more natural. So I'm looking forward to that because one of the things that I'm not sure about is when I'm going to start looking at how trimming chunks will affect the Citadel. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to wait until either the pre-releases are, you know, like the bug fixes start to look like, well, those are very few bugs happening or very few changes happening or maybe even a release candidate. But I know that the week of when there is going to be a, a full release that um, it's going to be a lot of work for me behind the scenes, I think, more so than usual uh, to trim the chunks for the Citadel. Now, I don't have to worry about the Nether in the end or like, well, I mean, I'll trim the chunks in the end for the islands, but like that takes no time. Um, it's it's the overworld and specifically attempting to trim closer to the builds that I have existing in the overworld. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say I, I mean the server, like everybody on the server, um, just so that if people want to 
you know, try to explore not too far from their main build area right now that they could potentially find, you know, new terrain shapes and stuff like that. The problem is that the biome stuff is going to change drastically. So the, my concern is like, are we going to end up with like this cool mountain that's behind, you know, Alistair's castle, like on the other side of that, is it going to like turn into a desert, you know, yeah. halfway through like that kind of stuff. I'm a little bit wary of, so we'll have to see. Um, there are some places that I know won't, won't see much change because they're so old on the server and the development has been so far reaching that basically it's like coast to coast. Like there's, if it's, if it's, if it's got land on it, then it's been touched by a Minecrafter. So like, we're not going to, we're not going to change those, but there are a few things, you know, um, the modern city, the medieval town, uh, there's a few places that we're just going to, I'm just going to wipe because like we've not, we've said, Hey, this is a great place for like, you know, uh, an ancient Chinese themed build, but like no one started anything. So there's no reason to keep those chunks. Right. They're, they've been loaded only in that I explored them and said, this looks good. I'll put a stick in the sand here and say, we'll build here. And then I've never been back. So mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is going to be easy. Um, I, um, I'm pretty impressed with the, the terrain though. Like it, do, it does look like it's going to be maybe not a perfect experience, but certainly much closer than I was anticipating them getting. Yeah, no, I'm very impressed by the biome blending stuff and I'm probably going to do a little bit of experimentation this week when I have time to see if I can stump it a little bit. Like I kind of want to, want to see how far it goes because I've loaded up a world in 117, maybe loaded like four chunks around spawn in a, in a four chunk radius and then, uh, you know, loaded that up in the pre-release and tried to look for the chunk borders and in most cases I can't find them. There are definitely a couple of areas where like, you know, a mountain that's just a lot of exposed stone will have a bit of a border with a grassier area or something like that. And I expect temperature clashes, like you said, are the ones that are going to be the most noticeable. Like if there is a snow plains which suddenly borders a desert because it's now focusing on more of like a heat map kind of thing and it's not putting in a transitional biome between those two, then that makes sense. But if it is doing that and I just haven't found any examples of that yet, then hey, that's more than I ever expected. It's very sophisticated. But even if it doesn't do that, then... I think the 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 way that the borders are blended is a lot more like the way Minecraft blends borders between regular biomes anyway. So the fact that it has started doing that, the fact that the developers have cracked that as a a way of blending them is is impressive. It's it's extraordinary. And I I haven't noticed that many places in which there are massive shifts in terrain. Like I don't know if I'll, I, I think one of the things I might try is like getting a seed from 1.18 that I know there is a mountain biome at a specific set of coordinates and then loading those, uh, loading the same seed in a 117 world, seeing what's there and then seeing how it adapts to an enormous mountain being there when you upgrade the world back again. So I, I'm kind of curious to see what it does with that. But even those extremes of terrain are apparently accounted for now. So, uh, so that's really cool. Have you got a chance to mess around with any of the amplified terrain? Speak, speaking of extremes of terrain, yes. Uh, when the, the pre-release came out, I was streaming at the time, and so we spent the last hour of the stream looking at amplified and large biomes because people were very excited about those being back in the game. And uh, yeah, amplified previously had been, you know, potentially out of consideration for this update because the new terrain generation meant that default was looking a lot taller and 
it might not have been a good candidate for Amplified working with that terrain generation. But we saw Henrik play around with it in, in some screenshots he shared on Twitter and Amplified was added back in. It looks incredible. It looks more dramatic than ever <laughs> for a start. Um, but we flew around a world on stream and got some screenshots and the results were were pretty intense. Um, terrain does go up to the world height limit in Amplified. And it did this previously when the world height limit was 256. Terrain now goes up to Y320 in Amplified on 118. And the highest point I found was at 313. Uh, but that's still, you know, about 60 blocks higher than you'll typically find it generating in default. So it really knows no limits. Um, it does apply unusual biomes to the terrain shapes, as well. So I got something that I presumed was a mountainous region that turned out to just be a snow plains and had a snow plains village tucked away in amongst all of these different kind of crags and crevices and this sort of almost infinite feeling cliff uh, that was around the, the region. And it just looked really, really cool. Um, we, we teleported around the room finding some different biomes to look at and there were jungles that, you know, the highest point of a jungle tree was 250 blocks in the air. There were some pretty, like, if you think you've seen enormous cliffs flying around, you know, the, the 118 default worlds, then the ones on Amplified are just like on a whole new level beyond that. And there's some jungle terrain as well. Yeah, I think just looks extraordinary in in this update so so amplified has has gotten a heck of a boost it seems like and is going to be just as fun to explore for the people who like that kind of thing and more dangerous too i imagine like you i mean it was already hard to do early game with amplified and with this new with this new terrain like it would be even harder to figure out where you died where you had to go to get your stuff like i remember even just exploring some of the deeper caves and i can't imagine like that stuff starting even taller like well and i guess to, to that effect when amplified obviously takes the surface level and pushes it up but did you did you see any caves that were starting higher as well there's definitely an adaptation of the caves to fit mountains that are that big because it will it will generate fairly ordinary cave systems up there so it's not like the caves themselves get stretched the cave carvers don't change all that much um, but even, you know, you get to heights of like 150, 200 plus, you still start to see cave entrances and stuff generating there. So it is looking for stuff like that. There wasn't enough solid terrain at that height that it was generating things like, you know, big caverns and the, the cheese cave kind of thing. But um, there were a couple of cliff faces I found that had enormous cave openings in them. And so I'm thinking, yeah, potentially we're going to see some interest there from players who really like playing on amplified terrain and want to experience the caves and cliffs kind of stuff. Like, it's it's all there. It doesn't really change much about the way the cavernous levels of the world end up generating, though, for people who wanted, you know, a world that was almost entirely caves. It's not going to quite generate that way. I mean, that image of the, the jungle that you just shared in the discord like that reminds me of i think it's the the hunan's floating mountains in mm -hmm. china yeah yeah um, like looks basically if you've seen the movie avatar like it looks like that but <laughs> yeah. in real life on on planet earth really really cool yeah and and the jungle like the the coolest thing about this was being able to like be at sea level or at ground level and 
looking up and seeing the top of the terrain vanish into the render distance. And I play with 16 chunks, so like I can I can load in basically anything vertically in the current worlds. But then in um, in 1.18, when you have that higher world limit, it starts to get off into the distance fog. And uh, yeah, I, I, I did that looking down from the tallest point that I could find, that block that was at Y313. I couldn't see the ground. And that's like disorienting and 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 freaky and like you know gives you a sense of vertigo in minecraft like no other but is really quite cool when it comes to understanding what this update has done to the world um so i was yeah really impressed by that and i expect there are some people who are just gonna build a tall enough tower in default worlds that's gonna get them to that height limit not least if they're doing that achievement that requires you to trade with a villager or something at a height limit but that it was it was fun like just flying around i don't know if i would want to play survival in that because you know there are still some very livable areas but i honestly feel like when the the terrain is that big it's going to take so long and so much effort to feel like you have made any sort of impact with stuff that you can build um that that's that's really it for me like exploring like maybe living a, a survival experience and having more of a a functional survival base in Amplified feels like a lot more realistic prospect than trying to build anything in Amplified and live a long-term existence where you actually want to change the terrain. Like, you've got to be a, a a very committed builder to really leave your mark on a world that looks this big now. And I guess if you're if you're needing resources, my gosh, you would have a lot of them. Oh boy, yes, no, absolutely. There's <laughs> if if you think like mining deep slate caverns for deep slate is going to be the the new thing, like mining amplified worlds for all of the stuff. Um, and and then I, I checked out large biomes worlds as well because we figured we might as well. Um, the game trolled me a little bit because I spawned on an island in a six thousand block wide ocean. <laughs> so. <laughs> And, and the island was not even like a different biome. It was a cold ocean biome that had just happened to have an island that kind of breached the surface, like a, a landmass that generated high up enough. And so there was one tree and about, you know, 20 blocks wide worth of island. And I, I immediately went, right, we've done it. Large biomes. Congratulations, Mojang. You've, you've, you've outdone yourselves this time. But uh, yeah, jokes aside, uh, I... I had to row about 4,000 blocks, gave up, and then teleported myself to the nearest plains biome, which was another, you know, four or 500 blocks east of me. Um, so that was that was a hilarious start. Um, if you thought oceans were big in default worlds, folks, turns out there's another option for you, and it's large biomes. But once you get to land, it is the terrain generation that we are now used to from 1.18 snapshot worlds, and it's just logically what you'd expect from a large biomes world they are huge the plains biome i was in i always think that you know if you've got a a decent amount of render distance like i said 16 chunks is what i play on uh, if you look around in every direction and you cannot see another biome then large biomes has done its job and this plains biome probably took me about twice that distance before i ran into a forest uh, the one thing it doesn't do is change river biome sizes, but now that the rivers are scaled up for this terrain generation anyway, it kind of makes more sense in the world. Like, the rivers don't feel minuscule compared to the size of the biomes now, but they're also not, as far as I can tell, broadened by the large biomes approach to, to world gen. Um, but yeah, if, if you wanted an, an area like that, if you wanted to do a, a creative building project in a natural-looking world instead of a super flat and you just wanted consistent biome color for whatever reason, then 
I think it might be worth loading up a large biome as well. It's not something I'm going to consider myself because I think exploration in survival would just be uh, it would be challenging, uh, and by challenging I mean tedious, um, because it would take so long to find another biome to begin with but then like when you're looking for the biomes you need without elytra especially i feel like the world would feel enormous and that might be more realistic to some folks you know six thousand block wide ocean really feels like you are crossing an ocean instead of like you know a, a, a an ocean that you can see the other side from uh but i i do think it's a little bit too much for me I'm always touring with the large biome thing because we decided a long time ago on the sizzle that um, with busy adults playing on the server that uh, regular biomes and a seed that had multiple biomes close together for the different block varieties would be the way to go. Yeah. As a seasoned Minecraft player now, four years later, I'm running into the fact that some of my builds don't fit in biomes. Like yeah. my medieval town is uh, 18 by 12 chunks or something. I can't remember exactly, but it was a lot. Uh, and... Like we just, I'm running into stuff like that where like the grass color is going to change when we get into the tiger forest at the base of the mountain on the west side of town, which is fine. It'll be an interesting challenge. But I, I feel like um, my first experience, I believe I tried large biomes on my Eternia world, which is my first time playing in a solo world in Minecraft. Uh, I had uh, decided on that, I think, when we when we started um, something with my, myself Stephen, uh, a current server mate and, and his sons. And I just remember it taking forever to try to find new places. Mm -hmm. And I just kept on seeing more and more of the same. I would travel forever in the nether. I didn't have a light at the time. Uh, so I would travel forever in the nether and then pop out and still be in a taiga forest. And yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And I remember taking a boat and like trying to like circle around the entire continent that I thought I was on. And I saw nothing but like dark oak forest for days i mean yeah. fine i like my dark oak but like i don't need that much of it and i'm wondering now and i should probably go back in hindsight uh because i'm wondering how much of it was like those green eyes of a minecraft player and having no idea what really far is you know yeah yeah i do remember going in there and, and getting into a minecart thinking like i remember how tedious this minecart ride was and i took it and i was like that was that was nothing <laughs> like that was like 10 30 seconds in a minecart like that was that i could run that faster in the citadel like it just there's there's some things i thought man okay i thought these were long before but like it's the kind of thing where i didn't have an iron farm so if i was building a long rail line i only had so much iron and so i thought like oh man that's a really long rail line i have to be careful because it was all early early stuff so um i'm not sure you know if if large biomes are, are for me, if I was to ever try something new, like for example, if I tried to like a modded playthrough or something. But the thing there is that like, I wish that there was maybe one more setting, like a medium biome, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like there's there's vanilla, there's medium, which are bigger. And then there's large, which is just like 6,000, you know, block wide ocean. Good luck. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think the thing is the biomes in 1.18's natural terrain in default is they're, they're twice as big as they were previously anyway um that's come up as part of their iterations on the new terrain is that stuff uh. is stuff is naturally bigger than it was before and so large biomes has taken that to the extreme for 1.18 where previously I feel like, you know, it, it might have felt as big, but I feel like now it is definitely bigger. It's it's twice the size of twice the size of the the 
regular biomes that we're used to. So potentially you'll find that a bit more comfortable in a default 118 world and large biomes doesn't even need to make an impact. But yeah, as some people in our live chat are saying, it's it seems perfect for large scale creative builders. You're going to be mm-hmm. working in the same biome pretty much permanently. There are going to be a few rivers intersecting if you want to make like a a kingdom kind of build you can do it within a plains biome without having to mess around you know mc editing areas of it into different biomes because it didn't quite fit your vision for the for the place so yeah i think there's something for everybody i think that's the most important thing is that people who really liked the extremities of amplified worlds can still have that people who really liked large biomes as either a challenge or as a creative canvas can still have those and the rest of us playing default can be very happy with the new terrain. I think it's it's all looking very good from this point of view. What do you say we get into some chunk mail? Yes, absolutely. Got a bunch of emails, of course. Once again, this is our chunk mail dispenser week. So hopefully we've uh, picked a few good ones out of the inbox. Why don't you take us away? No pressure. If you'd like to email the show, it is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. Keep them brief, keep them on point, and that is the best way to try to get them on the show. First email comes from Added Sparkle, great username, LA, those amethysts. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I've been catching up on past episodes, and when Joel mentioned the LA being good to replace water systems and hopper chains in tight places, Uh, in notes and votes, I think, my head immediately went to geodes and amethyst shard farms. Setting up the pistons to break shards is one headache, but working out how to collect them uh, and account for the shards that land on other budding amethyst blocks is another, and it feels like the perfect job for the allay. Added sparkle, starve to death while thinking of a witty (laughs) sign-off. You won't be the last, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've nailed it. Amethyst shards are an excellent use case for the Allay because I ran into this problem on my my hardcore world trying to farm amethysts, trying to figure out the best way to do that, and then realizing that it was probably just like go and pick up the shards yourself from all of the places that you've missed. And fortuning them is a much more effective way of getting a lot of them, doing that occasionally instead of you know, setting up a timer and having pistons everywhere and that kind of thing, and then only harvesting it very infrequently. I think it makes a lot of sense to get some help with that in what way you can. And the allay being an organic means of doing that means that it doesn't have to be fixed in place like a, you know, a hopper array would be in a uh, in an amethyst geode farm. So so that's, that's perfect. I think that's a, a very, very good example. Yeah, I think it's an excellent idea. And I also like the idea thematically of this little blue fairy carrying around this pretty little purple crystal mm-hmm. you know, and, and dropping it places. Like, it's very fitting. Yeah, yeah, uh, perfect. I might even want to do that even just as a decorative thing, like just have some crystals around so that you can have the delays floating around your base carrying crystals for no other reason other than just to pick up more crystals and move them around. Yeah. Just as an aesthetic. I think it's kind of funny. Um, depending on their range, uh, getting an LA to pick up scaffolding that is ultimately landing on ledges, cliffs, roofs, and other things where you don't want it to be as the scaffolding explodes when you remove it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I I think that would be a handy little helper to have on a build site. I guess the trick, you'd have to have the note block like back where you had your your crafting bench and your your other things. So I don't know where that that range is going to come in. Um, fun note though, when I was typing out the notes, uh, depending on their range, I had mistyped that as rage. (laughs) And that's kind of what I feel when I have to deal with scaffolding over and over again, where I can't 
squat on it to shift blocks and I, I have to I try jumping off scaffolding and it never works and then the, you break it and it goes everywhere. And I just imagined an Allay coming down after being fed up with uh with collecting scaffolding blocks because I think that would be the one thing that might push them over the edge and then pelting you with them like I just think <laughs> it would be hilarious I know we joke about this on, on on the show a lot about like you know some of the moms in Minecraft being you know useful to the player or serving the player you know indefinitely and I just I like the idea of some sort of like you have to give them cookies to keep them happy or instead of the note block, they just come at the player and start pelting you with whatever they were supposed to be collecting for you. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Just here, take your scaffolding. Just bat, 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 bat. I yeah. just, that would I, make my day. It would I, be the funniest thing ever. I remember in the early days of watching the Yogs cast play, they were very entertained when uh, they realized you can hold down the Q button and in, instead of just dropping one item on the floor, it would drop like a stream of them. And because they all came out of the player's head height, it looked like you were vomiting up like stone blocks and things like that. So what if the right. LA comes up to you with this leftover scaffolding or whatever and just goes, bleh, and it just like throws it all on the ground at your feet, but in a stream, like, oh gosh. I, I can imagine them being mischievous and I like that characterization of the LA's a lot. Also, uh, as we've discussed from... Um, yeah, previous iterations of, of Chunk Mail um, potentially ties them closer to like the, the Vex comparison. Um, so it'd be kind of funny if they got a little grumpy every now and again and you had to be worried about whether they'd turned into a Vex or not. Um, one of the other examples I think of for not necessarily automation in the same way of like, you know, interacting with hoppers and storage systems and stuff, but just for the Allay being a good thing to have around would be when you're digging out one of the new huge ore veins that you're finding in 118 terrain generation, which is of course going to wait until the Allay is introduced, but you'll still find those big copper veins and, and iron veins where you might want to collect the rare resources and make sure you have those in your inventory, but you don't really care much about the granite, but there's so much granite you have to dig through that it means that it's all going to despawn if you just leave it on the ground. So if you have the LA going up behind you, picking up a stack or so of granite and then dumping that somewhere, either it gets it out from under your feet so you don't have to worry about it being everywhere if you want to shift stuff around in your inventory, or it stores it for later because you're more concerned with the copper for now, but you feel like it's a shame for blocks like that to despawn. All you got to do is fill your inventory with single raw copper items, then that'll be the only thing you pick up and the LA can get collecting. I think nice. I think they're going to make sense and they're going to be fairly intuitive to use, fingers crossed. So even for people who aren't interested in the automation side of things, I think you're going to find a way to use them that's going to benefit you one way or the other. Our next email comes in from Lost Quigley and the subject is chest boat colour. Dear Pix and Joel, with the addition of chest boats coming to the game in the wild update, I am beginning to wonder what exactly they will look like. Normal chests are all the same colour, which is no wood type in particular, but each wood type has a specifically coloured boat. I personally don't think the current chest would look that good with all of the boats, so do you think that Mojang will introduce specific chest types according to wood to accompany the chest boats in the wild update? Maybe only to chest boats, or maybe for all chests? Thanks for the great show. Lost quickly drowned because his chest boat was too full of items and sank. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I think it would be a great idea. Uh, I have a texture pack on the Citadel for those that watch. 
uh, and regular chests uh, are no longer orange. They look like they're made out of oak planks mm-hmm. and iron strapping. Iron strapping is the color of like hoppers and uh, cauldrons and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, trap chests ha- have a different design pattern, but they look like they're made out of spruce. So they fit a lot better in a lot of my medieval builds because there's a lot of spruce floors and, and logs and stuff like that in the build. So, uh, and I've used them in other places too. They just tend to look... I like that the chests look like they're made out of the blocks that you collect. Mm-hmm. I, I've always thought that was kind of cool. I think I got the idea from Jermsey Boy when I saw um, them employ that in, in their um, Minecraft playthroughs. Um, I feel like an update to the chests is, uh, is overdue. Uh, I feel like we've got things like trap doors and doors being unique across the different wood types. Um, especially with new stuff added and really different and interesting stuff added with the nether uh, update. So I think, you know, having just, you know, an orange chest for acacia, you know, um, or maybe a gray, like if they wanted to go with more of a bark outside. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think having some, you know, maybe some gold or something in a dark oak chest could be kind of cool. Anything that would split them apart a little bit from being, all rustic medieval like log cabin looking stuff because like a dark a dark oak chest could if it was nice enough it could work in like a modern city build right like so yeah if they if they create some range with it maybe design the latches differently so that they don't all look like just a cookie cutter chest with different textures on it like uh they have an opportunity for it to be a little bit more interesting uh think about how um the carved stone blocks vary you know like you'll have the wither in one there's a creeper face in another maybe some of the chests could have you know some sort of carving on the side of them or or paneling that looks a little bit different than just wood planks yeah Uh, uh, yeah i thought i think that could be that could be really really fun i'm going to answer the question in the email more directly do i think mojang will introduce specific chest types frankly no (laughs) and i I feel bad saying that because i want it like don't get me wrong like i i would i'm very into the idea of having different wood types for chests but i don't expect them to do that and we've already seen the chest boats prototyped in the wild update concept videos and honestly i didn't expect them to look any different than that and i didn't expect mojang to make them any different than that so there's a couple of reasons here why i'm following this this train of thought first of all we already have what eight wood types in the game as of 117 um one extra when they add mangrove trees right so that's nine wood types um you brought up trap chests which was a very good thing to point out actually because not only do you have to have regular chests for each of those different wood types so nine more chests you also presumably have to add nine more trap chests as well because the trap chest has to look like a regular chest otherwise it doesn't really make sense as a trap <laughs> like the, mm-hmm. the the idea that you know it, it basically has to be so that's already you know 18 more things that they've got to add to the game and then they've got to make sure that each of those can be added to each of the different boats or you have to craft the same type of boat together with the correct type of chest which i think seems a little bit I don't know, like inaccessible as a mechanic. If you want to make a chest boat, you just want to make a chest boat. Admittedly, I have lived through a time when every bed that you made out of any color of wool turned out to have red sheets. And then they turned that into, okay, you can now make a bed with any different color as long as you get three of the same color wool. We're okay with that. (laughs) And that's fine. So I guess maybe there is precedent for something like this happening. But 
I, I kind of expect that it gets a little bit too granular from a crafting perspective and that chests, because they're so useful to players, the idea that they can make they can be made out of different like spare planks that you have in your inventory is you know, has its own value. Uh, I don't know if that value counterbalances the aesthetics of having nine different fun-looking chests to play with. Um, but I think when it comes to chest boats, I don't think chest boats are a good enough reason for them to add different wood-type chests. I think the crafting recipe for a chest boat is likely to be similar to a minecart with a chest, which is, you know, a similar kind of thing, right? A, a transportable chest like this. And the crafting recipe is just going to be you add a chest and a boat together in your inventory. And I don't see that really, like, changing much. And so you'd already have to do something similar to minecarts with chests, because if you added any chest to a minecart and it changed the look of it to the current chest minecart, then that'd be a chest that changed material out of nowhere, which wouldn't seem all that logical. And so I think even small ideas like this end up having knock-on effects for what the developers have to consider when adding them. And the amount of things that currently interact with chests. For example, what kind of chests do we then start finding in dungeons? Does that change based on the biome the dungeon is in, or the type of loot that we're finding? Are jungle temples then going to have jungle wood chests in them? And like, th there are so many different areas in which one thing has this sort of butterfly effect ripple that spreads out through the rest of the game and gives us a hundred other things to think about. I don't know if the wild update is the update to do that, uh, and I don't know if the chest boat in particular is the kind of thing that would encourage them to do that when they could just put the current wood-type chest in any of the, what is it, like seven boat types, because you can't make them out of out of nether wood. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's the right time for it. Um, I would like to, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if they're going to do it. Yeah, I see your point about the minecarts. Like that, that's definitely something that I hadn't considered. But when it comes to crafting the boats, I mean, like you can craft a barrel out of any kind of wood type. And I kind of wonder whether the, if you did the chest boat, like combination, as you suggest, probably like a chest and a boat and a crafting table, if the boat would just determine what the chest would be. Because mm -hmm. you could probably use any chest, wouldn't matter what it is. In the I same way that you can... um you can use well i guess there's not multiple chests right now but like i'm just trying to think about like any well when you craft a boat though you'd have to craft it all to the same planks right you can't do multiple colors yeah yeah it no, has to be all, the all, same. all, all of the yeah. boats are now like that as well and the the other thing that i point. hadn't i hadn't considered about this is double chests <laughs> because right like, do you then end up with a a chest that you can have half of one and half of the other I, I presume you wouldn't be able to put them side by side, but then they have to rework chest functionality to take that into account as well, because you wouldn't be able to combine two different types of chests that way. Um, right. So, <laughs> again, like there's there's so many different things that could affect this in, in weird and unexpected ways. And I wonder if they, if they added it so that it was only combining it with a boat that changed the color of the chest would players then find a way to have a chest boat 
like concealed in some area where it was like half in a block because they're entities and they can do that right. like so that you would have just the chest part of the chest boat poking out and then maybe like the oars just kind of angled up through the floor a little bit so that you could have different colored chests <laughs> so like i i get the sense that to avoid players doing that because it seems like a really awkward workaround they would just want to add all of the chests of different wood types to begin with but then that seems like so much work that they would probably just combine the current chest model with the existing uh you know seven colors of boats our next email comes in from evo 334 useful useless items hi joel and bix listening to a recent hermitcraft stream by rendog he was discussing the most useless items in minecraft and how we could make them more useful Wooden tools were high in the list, and it occurred to me that something they could potentially be used for would be mining amethyst crystals without the risk of damaging the budding amethyst source block. What other useless items um, would you find a use for? Insert Winnie Sidoff. Evo 334, an accidental lockdown Minecrafter. I think you found a witty sign-off on your own. Um, that's, <laughs> I, pretty, that's pretty funny. I definitely think um, you're not alone in being a lockdown no, Minecrafter as well. I'm sure a lot no, of people I, have uh, picked up this game for a sense of escapism over the last couple of years. I think a, a wooden pickaxe for mining Amethyst Crystal is a good idea if you have them to spare. I'd imagine they run out of durability pretty quick. Because mm -hmm. if I'm there for Amethyst, I'm going to be there for a while. Like I'm not doing that little bits. I'm probably going to be mining for quite a while. Um, plus I'd imagine you'd want to enchant them as well to get like fortune and all that kind of stuff. So like you're investing a lot into a wooden pickaxe. Um, I like the concept though. So like if you had like a wooden pickaxe and mending on it, then that might be cool. Cause I mean, my, the geode farm that I made, um, there's a zombie grinder right next to it. So like repairing your stuff is easy Yeah, uh, and right there, you don't have to trap, like you can see it from standing in the geode. Like it's, it's only, you know, it's less than two chunks away. So like that could be possible. I might actually take that into a, as a test the next time I have to go look for for amethyst or harvest amethyst. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I the first thing that popped into my mind as far as what other useless items would you find a use for would be poisonous potatoes. But like I I don't know what they could be used for other yeah. than maybe throw, throwing as a weapon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could poison other mobs. Um, I don't know what end that would be. I just it's kind of odd that they're in the game. Uh, I think it's more of a meme and a joke now. Yes, um, definitely. Rotten flesh was the next thing. Uh, I know you can trade it with villagers, um, but it's not super effective. Uh, and it's just a pain in the butt to store up. And you get so much of it from something like a gold farm. Um, some people um, have data packs that allow you to craft or smelt rotten flesh into leather. Um, I've seen it both be directly something you can smelt into leather or also something that you can... Um, turn into a leather scrap and then you have to take like nine scraps and that will make you a piece of leather mm -hmm. uh i i remember that was on i think the realm of vastin because there were so many item frames being used uh in the world and they just wanted the extra leather and didn't have to walk around hacking cows um so that was pretty useful um clocks are also not currently super useful though that might change as more people are going to be caving in 118 mm, yeah. uh, digging underground exploring deep caves i'm not sure whether you're going to want to know whether it's light or dark outside. Um, maybe you want to know before you head up to the surface. I don't know. Um, like hit, you know, hit your bed before you jump in the water elevator to go 200 blocks to the surface. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like the cost of a clock with the gold and the redstone does kind of require some effort. You know, it, it requires some resources. Uh, you kind of have to be at a point where you've got that kind of stuff to spare. 
And if it could be some sort of timer in the game, as opposed to having something larger like hopper clocks or comparator clocks, I would imagine a clock being a crafting component of some other imaginary redstone thing that I don't know of yet. Um, I did end up coming up with something that, that revolved around a daylight sensor and a hopper clock and end up with like a time of day clock. So twice a day, my pumpkin farm will harvest at like, we'll just call it like, you know, 4 a.m. and 4 p.m. for the lack of a better argument, the way mm -hmm. to express that. Um, so that's cool. I and mean, it was fun to figure that out. But I also think that there are some, you know, technical players out there. And and specifically, I run into this in a lot of the, the games that I play that have like any kind of automation. Um, in Minecraft, it's like you just, the thing is just running all the time. And it would be really cool to be able to have something like, you know, timed you know, uh, have it go specifically for intervals, have it be uh, timed for a time of day. Uh, having something that would have an interface to do that would be neat. I don't know what the coding implications are of that, but yeah, like it's it's really appealing to me. And more, more like also fun stuff, like, you know, timing fireworks displays or timing musical, you know, note block uh, arrangements. Like there could be some fun stuff there with a the clock. Yeah, definitely. I, I would love to see clocks used more frequently. I feel like they're one of those items that you almost have to go out of your way to use in kind of the same way that you have to go out of your way to eat all of the different food types and stuff. Like, they end up being almost more for roleplay than for, you know, actual utility to the player for the most part. Um, on the other end of the scale from wooden tools, I'm wondering if we'll ever get blocks which can only be acquired with netherite tools. Because I feel like netherite is, you know, it's an upgrade for diamond in the sense of durability and being fireproof and everything, and is really meant to be felt of like 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 as a coating for your diamond pickaxe instead of something which is used to craft netherite tools on its own, right? But it is it is curious to me that netherite doesn't really have any functionality that diamond tools don't in terms of materials that they can harvest and so forth. They're also, I think, a little bit sharper, so they have more attack damage, but even then, like, I, I feel like Netherite's existence is justified by a lot of kind of fringe things, like little tiny attributes that make it better, compared to the reason to upgrade different tiers of tools the rest of the time, which is to be able to mine different types of resources that you couldn't before, and it being part of the progression that way. Um, might maybe bounce against the idea that netherite is kind of difficult to acquire for novice players and they might not be that interested in going mining in places where there is lava. But still, it, it's it's potentially uh, one of the things to add to the list there. Um, the first thing that always comes to my mind when it comes to items that feel like they have utility but when you actually get down to it nobody uses is lingering potions. Um, lingering potions in Dragon's Breath, which is only needed as a brewing ingredient for lingering potions they're kind of neglected by survival players because they are functionally fairly unnecessary they don't do much that a splash potion didn't do already and the cloud of effect that you can run through to get the potion effect isn't especially potent um it doesn't give you you know eight minutes of fire resistance if you just run through it as it's disappearing right so i feel like even for survival-based minigames, which is the primary thing I can see people using them for. That or maybe, like, you know, particle effects, <laughs> at which point they're a glorified fireworks dispenser. I don't really see people using them 
at all. Um, and I had to go out of my way to figure out places that I would want to use them in stuff like the Survival Guide Museum and in, in Empires. Um, so that'd be top of my list. Um, I'd like to see horse armor usable for more stuff because I always end up getting it from loot chest in dungeons, nether fortresses and so on. I always end up with more than I need. Uh, I don't have an entire army of horses. I don't have a cavalry division on any of my worlds. And I expect some people would like to use that. But I, I'd honestly, I'd turn it into not specifically horse armor. I'd put it, I want to make it like mount armor or something like that. Because then you could armor up, say, striders or you know pigs for com comedic effect. You could even, <laughs> um, if you want to extend it to mobs that the player can't ride but other things can, you could have armored spiders or armored ravagers. Um, and that would involve you clicking them and then running away, probably. But then it could be something that might add a level of difficulty to raids if people wanted to include armored ravagers in a, a custom raid or something like that. Um, I like the idea of it being just generally mount armor um, and not exclusive to horses because that gives the players more access to you know different stuff they can do with it. Um, and outside of that, I was I was literally scrolling through the Minecraft wiki looking for other potential items because frankly they've done a very good job at making very few useless items in the grand scheme of Minecraft, right? Um, but I think, like, more uses for turtle scoots other than crafting turtle helmets was basically the only thing I could think of at this stage. Like, those are a grind to get, so I don't know what else you would use them for. And frankly, the, the item seems to exist just so we had a non-turtle killing way of getting turtle helmets. Um, but, man, it's it's difficult to find too many of these. I'd be interested to hear the rest of Rendog's list, to be honest, because I, I appreciate the wooden tool thing. I like a lot of people, I make a wooden pickaxe, I use it to mine three stone, and then I never use wooden tools again if I'm starting a fresh world. And that will probably change in Survival Guide for the sake of a tutorial, but in, in reality, yeah, you don't really need wooden tools for a whole lot. It's good that you can make them, but there really is no great need to. So I'm kind of curious what other things came up on that list, and uh, yeah, what else people had in terms of suggestions for them. I think one of the things about wooden tools is it's less about the fact that it's a good tool. It's more about teaching the player how to make a tool. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the template on which all other tools are based. It seems yeah. to be it seems to be the 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 way for for wooden tools. And yeah, in the case of wanting to maybe take the survival progression a little slower and role play kind of a more primitive existence before you upgrade to using stone and so forth like that, that kind of stuff can make sense. Um, and it's good that you don't just have a wooden pickaxe and then you know all of the other tiers of tools have all of these greater varieties of things but still yeah i i, I do think that some things are uh, potentially neglected a little bit and and can have some some uses we are of course looking at this through the lens of the survival experience and i've seen a lot of very good uses of stuff like wooden tools for making sure that the player isn't too heavily buffed in adventure maps and you know dungeon crawlers ctm maps that kind of stuff where like right you know having uh you you look in a chest and you're like oh an enchanted sword but then it turns out it's only made of wood so it's not going to do much more than like it gives you a little bit of fire aspect or something on it which i think makes a a good system for for maps like that Moving on to our last email, though, this one comes in from The Shadier Twin, and the subject is, want to play a game of SMP? 
Hi, Johnny and Joel. I've gotten into watching various Minecrafters on YouTube fairly recently and have had a lot of fun watching various series back catalogues. I was particularly engaged by Third Life, as the combination of hardcore-style Minecraft and spontaneous roleplay felt very similar to the Dungeons & Dragons campaign I've had the pleasure of playing in, RIP to my last character, Trip, but with the added bonus that you get to hear the perspectives of each person as you watch their videos. And it certainly seems like roleplay-heavy, story-based SMPs are in vogue right now, as quite a few of them are in progress, with lots of views each time a new episode is released. I was wondering if either of you enjoy spontaneous storytelling or scripted roleplay more when playing on an SMP with lore, or if they're both equally fun. Also, what Minecraft mechanics add the most depth or fun to roleplay with other players? Sincerely, the Shadier Twin tried to swim in lava while running from the Boogeyman. I'm not an RP guy at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a lot to add. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not slamming the RP stuff. I, I, I've got lots of friends that are into it. Uh, I used to play on an RP server in World of Warcraft, but it was a light RP server. Basically yeah. meant if you're going to, totally acceptable. And if you're not going to, also totally acceptable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I can, I, we've had, we kind of incorporated some personalities into what we were doing, but it wasn't like a complete shift in, in role. Um, I tend to think of my worlds as more of having a history as a way to inform my building and design decisions. Yeah, so yeah. I think about less like I am the person running this town as more like a Londa. Where would this town be? I look at it like a design challenge. I think about it like I'm designing my own video game level more so than I do from a role play perspective. Uh, I know I would not have fun on a server where players are acting out a specific role, whether that role is true to their personality or against type, um, then I, I don't know if that is something that I'd be really into. Um, I usually find any super heavy RP skits in the Let's Play content that I consume pretty cringy. <laughs> and I... And again, I, it's entertaining and fun for some people. And I've certainly seen some funny clips. Like, I, you know, I get it. It's it, some random stuff and some, uh, I don't want to say manufactured drama, but like just when one person is not expecting the RP, it's almost funnier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that, that kind of stuff can lead to some just funny ad lib things. But a lot of times uh i find that role playing requires a certain level of acting or a certain level of preparedness which i don't find a lot of at least in my experience uh happens in the the minecraft minecraft space that i consume so they tend to go on longer than they need to and i tend to fast forward through them um and again not slamming people that enjoy them and, or the people that create them i think it's you know it's one thing that's great about minecraft is that there's an outlet for all kinds of stuff right mm -hmm. um, yeah I, what, for me, when I was playing D&D, &D, and this is the closest that I've come to like uh, more role play, um, I always thought about my character as like a video game. Like I wasn't the character. I was not the big dragon. Is it Dragonborn? Dragonkin? Dragonborn, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dragonborn. So I was this big Dragonborn guy, and I didn't imagine myself as him. I was thinking more along the lines of, I've chosen this character to guide through the world so I can kind of like omnisciently just kind of like make decisions and, and have them do whatever. Um, and I wasn't doing anything out of my own personal character. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm a rule follower. I'm a boy scout. Like I'm a, a kind of a captain America, save everybody personality when it comes to that kind of stuff. So it's not like my 
Dragonborn was a troll. Like it's not like he was, you know, running into battle ahead of time or causing trouble in the group because that's how I wanted to role play. That's not that's not how I do that. So I I have a hard time like identifying and understanding the whole role play thing when people are like really deeply into it and their character, their role is making decisions that they wouldn't because mm-hmm. they've written this character as a as a as a heel or a bad character or a mischievous character or something like that. Yeah, like I I've been thinking about this a lot actually from Empire's SMP and what I've liked and disliked about that experience, which I think I came into with a different mindset than some of the other players, or it sort of evolved into something that required a different mindset because that series has now become known for more of the kind of character roleplay kind of stuff. And that really stems from the concept of us each controlling different resources and each of our nations having a sort of identity. And so if in terms of mechanics for our correspondent here, uh, for the Shadier Twin to, um, to, to potentially consider on an SMP, that's a potentially a good place to start, is that you restrict different regions or different players to being the ones in charge of certain resources because that way you have to go to that person if you want to farm iron if you want larger amounts of iron and maybe you don't restrict the mining of it but obviously mining is going to be something that suffers from diminishing returns you know it's not as renewable it's going to deplete you're going to have to work harder to go out and get it when one person is just going to be sitting on stacks on stacks of iron so there is an option for you and i think that works well with what we've got on empire's smp um, I think I came into the series with a world-building mindset, like you were saying, really, Joel, like um, more about thinking about the world's history to inform more of what I wanted to build. I wasn't interested in placing myself as a protagonist in this. Like, I didn't want myself to be a character, and so I had to work quite hard to really figure out what my character was going to be when it came through that the interactions between us were going to be much more like we are the different rulers of this place and you know we're all going to be the ones making the decisions and starting wars with each other and that kind of thing Uh, what i had in mind was more of the traditional definition of law which is more like you know the history and traditions of like from back in the days when um you know civilizations would pass down their history through people telling stories around campfires the oral tradition of storytelling instead of you know the written form that we typically have now um and people i think more recently have adopted law as a a catch-all term to mean anything that has a story that's developing live as you watch it and that's not necessarily what I would classify this kind of roleplay stuff as. I think of that as storytelling. I think of lore as history. And so the two things are kind of in conflict, but people still come into my Twitch chat and ask, is this a lore SMP? And I'm like, what does that mean to you? Because we need to kind of define this term a little bit more clearly. Um, but yeah, my, my interest was much more in kind of creating ancient history than about creating drama in real time. Um, and luckily, having played a bit of D&D myself, I was kind of okay and open to the concept when it started happening. And I've definitely seen larger YouTube servers that have roleplay elements and different factions and, you know, war storylines and stuff like that, who have to remind their audiences that they're all friends behind the scenes and that spamming negative comments on someone else's videos is not in the spirit of the story they're trying to tell. And so that's why I 
don't I don't rush headlong into the concept of role playing on YouTube like that. I don't tend to want to start beef with people because then some of the younger element of my audience has to be reminded that you know this is actually just something we've all decided to do behind the scenes. And I think scripted is also a weird term right now because there are scripted reality TV shows which are basically just the producers or whoever feeding them stuff to say or do or like, you know, amp up this interaction with so-and-so. But it's not necessarily reading from a script in the same way that actors in a theatre do. Uh, so it's a little bit of a different thing. But for the most part, most of what we did on Empire's SMP, a couple of basic elements of the story have been decided beforehand, like okay, it's time for this event to happen, we need to go and fight the dragon now, let's have an excuse to do that. But it's not necessarily scripted in terms of how those events end up going, who says what at what time, like none of it is planned out like that in advance. It's always a lot easier to improvise interactions like that. And sometimes people just go and poke each other for fun and it turns into something bigger that was never intended beforehand. Um, but yeah, in my case, I'm much more interested in the server being like a, a historical record, like we're kind of seeing the timeline or reading about mythic history than in pre presenting some of this stuff as like a live event. And a lot of that comes down to what's mechanically possible in Minecraft as well, because I always feel like what people have in their heads is much more impressive than what is possible for us to do in Minecraft, rich though it is with tools that you can use as a as a creative sandbox, it still looks like blocky game, and people want you to have epic battles between these different kingdoms, and none of that really pans out the way you expect it to, because how are you going to have armies on a server with 12 people, you know? Like, the closest yeah. thing you can do with that is get a bunch of armies who are like maybe like it's piglins on one side and wither skeletons on the other side you find the mobs that will naturally fight each other and you use them as your armies but really that's the only kind of thing you can do if you want like a lord of the rings style epic battle where two armies are clashing in the middle of a field you know you can't you can't do much like that unless you have a much broader cast of players which in our case we really don't yeah i feel like stuff like that gets into there are other better tools out there for that kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like it pushes the limits, even of Minecraft. And I know that Minecraft is, is virtually limitless in terms of, you know, if you've got the imagination, you can kind of come up with it. But I always, for me there personally, there is a limit to what I think is uh, passable, you know, in terms of what can I create what environment, world, role play, whatever can I create that is going to be convincing, you mm -hmm. know, or allow enough information visually to be communicated to the viewer so that they can um, achieve that suspension of disbelief that's needed to understand that a bunch of stairs in a row are a slanted roof. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. like g giving something a feel, does, does my town feel like it's old? Versus does it feel like it's just a bunch of Minecraft blocks placed together, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's that suspension that I'm looking for. And then there's other things where it's like, hey, Joel, are you, your town doesn't have any people in it. Like, are you going to make people? Nope. 
Yeah. Minecraft doesn't do that very well. I don't like villagers. I don't want them walking around and honking and slamming doors. I don't feel like defending the thing against zombies constantly. Yeah. So no, <laughs> it is. You're just going to have to imagine people. <laughs> yeah. And that and that then becomes a trick for, you know, a, a design challenge for me to like add things like wheelbarrows and hay carts and fireplaces and smoke in the chimneys and just just a little bit of applied or implied motion in the world to kind of say people live here you just happen to be on the street alone right now yeah and and <laughs> that's know? that's something we saw mojang themselves trying to do a little bit more with in terms of adding utility mobs as part of the mob vote this year was like they when they were talking about the copper golem or the allay the developers were very keen on pointing out i like you know kinetic stuff happening in bases and the feeling that areas are a little bit more alive that way and that's great like if you can inject some of that into the area then then awesome and i think it's good that we have different types of villagers who can sort of act like different civilizations but they're again they're not going to do very much most of the time they're going to wander off and get eaten by husks or whatever and it's not the most productive way of 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 living um and and can certainly lead to a lot of problems more than it even solves by having them around um and i i think coming into minecraft with the mindset that you are either playing a character or building a world for a character that you're imagining can lead to some very creative choices. I think that's one of the other things that's come out of Empires was everyone's areas being so thematically linked to the kind of stories they wanted to tell. Like, my area ends up feeling like a combination of, you know, ancient desert civilization and slightly more advanced, you know, Stargate or Star Wars kind of vibe because of the type of stuff I wanted to do and using metal and having this element of spirituality to it, like all of it ends up feeling fairly unique because it's informed by the character I wanted to have and the world that I wanted to build. You look at Gemini Tay's stuff on the same server and she's got this, um, you know, wizard storyline going on. So she's building a lot of wizard towers and has dragons circling them and is looking after the dragon egg and like all of that kind of stuff. And that's also tied into her character's aesthetic she's got a big purple wizard hat and builds a lot with amethyst and so i think a lot of that can can gel together very well minecraft naturally skews towards fantasy of course because you know there are giant mushrooms and skeletons with bows and you fight a dragon um so it's very easy to run with fantasy as a theme so if you've got D D experience i think there's a there's a lot that you can bring to it in that regard um my last thing on the subject really is that the most fun I ever had in an Ender Dragon fight was on Empires, uh, where a group of players was trying to keep the dragon alive while the rest of us were trying to kill it. And if you can come up with a storyline reason for that, then it makes the fight a lot more dynamic. You know, there's the new end crystals popping up in unexpected places while, you know, the rest of us are flying around in the air that we already have Elytra and like that made for some pretty epic moments, some very epic player deaths. Um, I think overall, it turned something that was very mundane for us because we've been playing Minecraft for this long into something that felt a lot more like a an epic conflict. And so I, I really like the way that came together. That's another thing that potentially you could try if you want to kind of you know, spice things up on an SMP is have uh, a couple of dragon fights where people are trying to keep the dragon alive. I think it, it adds a lot to that fight. That actually reminds me of uh, dungeon fights in like World of Warcraft, you know, MMOs in general, really, where you've got, you know, a bunch of people that have specific roles and to go in there, like you've got the tank, you've got the DPS, you've got the healer, uh, and then you're going to have the main boss, but then you're also going to have like these mini mobs that are running around that you have to deal with as well. 
And I think that's a really cool way of bringing that experience into Minecraft. Yeah. And I, th I think one way things can get a little bit more scripted if you wanted to plan events a little bit more in advance and that, that can really integrate well with what Minecraft's mechanics are is building a dungeon crawl for somebody. And if you're a D&D &D DM and you've been used to kind of homebrewing some stuff, then you can plan out a dungeon experience for people. And you can do this on a survival server or even in creative if you have access to that. You can... Um, yeah, you can, you can create a dungeon for people to go around with some loot at the end and that kind of stuff. And I've seen that used to great effect to, you know, build more mystery or to trick people to have like a plot twist at the end. You know, there's a variety of ways that can work. And I feel like that's something that you can weave into the Minecraft world a lot more successfully than you can roleplay where everyone's just kind of standing around and, and yelling and everyone has a different idea about the way the conversation is going and everybody is the protagonist of their own story and wants to get something out of it. I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks, though. Thank you so much once again for these emails. Very exciting discussions, all of them. And thank you, of course, for listening. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the render distance where you can hear all about my plumbing woes among various other things that we talk about each week and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal which is still the monthly minecraft audio hangout where we'd sit down every month with our patrons and everybody would get to talk about what they've been doing in minecraft that month we are currently at 312 patrons which is steady on from last week's count which was also 312 uh, special thanks go out to our content engineers b ramsey 718 hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just tell a friend about the spawn chunks and where they can go to listen to it you can point them towards itunes spotify google podcasts and even youtube really wherever they can find a podcast they can find the spawn chunks you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the Patreon page. That is where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where Empire's SMP is still ongoing, but you'll pretty soon start to see Minecraft Survival Guide Season 2 taking over. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I would do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series and lately play a lot of Minecraft bingo. Uh, I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick search on YouTube. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, at thecitadelcafe.com. That's about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. And this Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, The Citadel Cafe turns 10. Hey, well, many happy returns to The Citadel Cafe in advance. In the meantime, thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and is also a little bit taller. Mm -hmm.